Welcome everybody to uh, Unspoken Rules. This is season I don't know, three, two, three? Uh, three, three, episode two, or that's, I don't even know at this point. Um, we are in a very uh, interesting st- time right now, but before I even get going with any uh, details about what's going on, I have with me, as I always do, my brothers. Um, All the from the six nasty. In the city, roam in your hearts. <laughs> oh God, here we go. Um, <laughs> but um, as, as I as I mentioned, kind of briefly, we are in a very interesting time right now, where um, it's April first, twenty twenty. And for those who have been following with the world news, uh, um, we are in a very uh, challenging time as a society and as a world, where uh, the coronavirus COVID nineteen has uh, it's kind of taken. Um, taking precedence over all things that have been going on. Um, so we are currently sheltering in place because we live in the Bay Area and uh, we have been doing so for the last handful of weeks. Uh, I think when this first was announced uh, in March, there was a deadline of April 7th, but we just found out two or three days ago that it's been extended, the shelter in place to May 3rd. So. Uh, if you have any issues with the volume or the quality of recording, it's because we are all recording from the sanctity of our own homes and our own rooms via Zoom. Uh, shout out to Zoom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, before I go any further, uh, we have a big announcement. Uh, we have with us today our co-founder, our CEO in a sense, uh, a guy that kind of made this podcast, uh, you know, sparkle and shine with us. Back from hiatus, Alan Chasado. Seventh-month hiatus in Mexico and just recently returned two days ago. What's up, Alan? Yo, what's up, you wombat cabrones? How you been? <laughs> Missed you guys. Good to be hey, home. Back hey, in the man. Bay Area, back in California. Under strange circumstances and times, but we did come back, my wife and I. Uh, about four months earlier than planned because of everything going on um and in a weird way it feels good to be home Mm. yeah so so for those again to 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 reintroduce the alan has been in mexico latin america mexico for the last seven months and uh we we've been in consistent contact with him through whatsapp and and texting them but um we didn't expect him back this soon and we're thrilled to have him back uh, it, it for him, it, he's walking. He's coming back into a very interesting time where um, we're in a kind of quarantining, self-isolation, shelter-in-place situation. Um, but with that in mind, Alan, uh, I, I think uh, you had a interesting topic to start off, start us off with, because we always start off the podcast with a question for the group. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll hand it off to you. Yeah, so I was just uh, thinking about being coming back straight to California. Uh, part of the reason I came back is because I, I wanted to be quarantined because in Mexico, people were not quarantining whatsoever. Um, so I, I wanted to be in a place where there were rules about not going outside. And even though some people are breaking those rules, for the most part, a lot of people are respecting them. So it kind of just had me thinking um, in, in the strange memory that I had um how who and what would i want to be spending my time doing during this quarantine so because this is a sport 
Wait, what? Are you trying to do somebody? What, what was it? You said I mean, you want to spend time. <laughs> uh, oh, oh my God, I'm exposed, babe. <laughs> no, who or like or like what activities? Like, you, fucking, you scumbags, you dirtbags. Like, I think I thought that was that was clear, man. I don't know. I have the grammar police over here, but. <laughs> Whom or what activities would you like to be doing during quarantine? Who do you want to fuck? <laughs> I mean, if we're going there, I have a list of NBA players that are pretty highly ranked. From one to a 100. Kyle Kuzma does have a cute face. <laughs> Kelly Oubre. So I, I didn't catch that, but I, I thought it was translated of like, what what would I want to be doing during this quarantine? How would I be wanting to spend my time? What activities would I want to be doing? But most importantly, which athletes would I could I tolerate being around during these next four weeks or, or more? Who knows? Um, so not only which athlete would I most tolerate, but which would I probably least tolerate? So I wanted to ask you guys during this quarantine, uh, who or what? Whom or what activities um, <laughs> would you like to be doing during this time? So for me, it was a pretty ans easy answer. In terms of who I would want to spend this quarantine with, in terms of athletes, because this is a sports podcast, not a, not a porn podcast, you sick fucks. Get your heads uh, out of the gutter. <laughs> um, my, the person that I would most want to be quarantined with is a hella easy answer for me. And maybe it's cliche, but I feel like Clay Thompson, man. That dude is chill as fuck. He probably smokes a lot. He's probably going to have Instagram models coming through. And you know Clay Thompson is going to be breaking the quarantine rules, but in very subtle, sly ways. Um, so you're going to be getting hooked up to the good stuff. And he's probably not going to get in your business. I feel like he's the type of roommate that is going to be doing his thing. And you can, like, hop on and play NBA 2K with the guy. Uh, and everything's going to be good, man. Everything's going to be well-supplied. He's probably never going to freak out on you. Um, and, yeah, that, that'd that be my guy. person I would least want to be quarantined with uh, is probably Charles Barkley. Ooh. That motherfucker talks so much shit. He hates on the base so much. You know his fat ass is going to be eating the food and probably blaming it on on you. <laughs> Um, I, I just can't, I just, I'm done with Barkley, man. That fool's always coming after people. He's always putting people down. He's, he's basically like a bully, to be honest. He's like a, a bully with a platform. Um, so I definitely, I, I would not want to be housed with that fool for, for a few months. Probably eat my skinny ass. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I, I guess I'll go next. Um, the person I would most want to be quarantined with. I think the cliche for a Bay Area guy would be Steph Curry because I feel like Steph Curry with his um, spirituality and his selflessness would, would you know, want to cater to those um, that are with him. But I, I, would, I will say, um, based on sports alone, the person I would want to be quarantined with the most would be Steve Nash. And that goes That's because good. the guy – has always been a selfless, uh, selfless player. He's always made sure that his teammates were eating, um, regardless of like his statistical like like uh, prowess. So Steve Nash for me has always been that person that I feel 
um, is someone who would always provide in a situation of need. Now, the person that I would least want to be uh, quarantined with would be Mike Tyson. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> what you got against Mike? <laughs> I, I, I'm thinking out loud right now. Like, you know, it's funny because we talked about this like like off air, and I, I didn't think about anybody on either ends, whether to to be quarantined with or to not be quarantined with. But I was thinking about it right now. I'm like, I don't want to be in in the same space with Mike Tyson because I feel like he would want to eat my children. So I'm good. Oh, he's what are you trying to say? You gonna be dead? You're, you have kids now, Andrew. What the fuck? <laughs> What'd I miss, man? <laughs> no, like, like, like with, with with Mike, it's always been one of those like, like, like self. I don't know, man. Like he he's a guy who always cares about himself and his own dollar and his own his own well being. So uh, I think Mike Tyson would be the guy at, at, in his prime would be a guy who you would least want to be around in a, in a situation where you have to quarantine because he's not worried about you. He's worried about himself and his dollars. So, uh, Mike, I'm good. Uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to stay over here by myself and you can have your own kingdom with your, with your lions and your tigers and your bears. I'm good. So. I, I don't want to be stuck with anybody. So like I picked strictly people I don't want to be quarantined with, uh, from sports. Uh, I, I won't, really don't want to be around someone that's very, like, dramatic and, like, overreactive. So I would not want to be quarantined with CP3, Chris Paul. Ooh. I feel like he's, he's, he's very dramatic, overreacting. And that's true. Just, like, I can't he'd trust freak that. out. Yeah, he'd yeah. freak out a lot. Like, oh, you ate one of my Cheerios. Just <laughs> like, that, that motherfucker probably counts that shit. Number two from, uh, from the NFL, I don't want to be stuck with Gronk. Like maybe in a previous life that would have been fun, but like now, like I don't want to wake up to like balls on my face or something. You know, like gonna him, him breaking your Lego sets. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about this last episode. <laughs> I can't remember. Oh, here and and for the baseball, I don't want the baseball. I don't want to be stuck with uh, Bryce Harper. Ooh. He just seems like an annoying dick. Like, like a frat boy, huh? Super frat boy, just like totally into himself. Probably just similar to Gronk, but not as party, just just strictly douchebaggy. Those are my top three. I don't want to be fucking fucking with you at all, ever in life. <laughs> Damn. Gronk getting fun. called out twice in this show. <laughs> Someone tweet him. Nominator of hate right here. <laughs> we'll fight you, Gronk. Oh. All five of us at once can take your ass, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> We're hanging off. Each one of us takes a limb. I'm hanging off his penis. <laughs> Whoa, this has gotten really weird really quick. <laughs> um, but uh, really quick, uh, Alan, I want to say you, we're definitely brothers because Charles Barkley crossed my mind. And I think yeah. I've said Charles Barkley in one of the previous ones for one of the questions in the past. But uh, for me, athlete at who I would want to be quarantined with is Stefan Marbury, a.k.a. Oh, yeah. Starberry. <laughs> because you already know he's going to have a serpent. He's going to use his Asian his Chinese connections have a surplus of masks and Clorox wipes and toilet paper. I don't know. You name That's it. He true. probably has That's it. True. And he'll be like, Hey, homie, I, hey, hey, blood, I got you. What you want? And I'll be like, uh, I need some more toilet paper. He'll like, th- he'll like shoot, like he'll like do a cool, like move, like, you know, between legs and then like shoot it at me and I'll catch it and be like, That's why you're one of my favorite players. 
And then, so that's, that's who I want to be quarantined with and who I wouldn't want to be quarantined with is any athlete who has coronavirus. <laughs> Rudy, Gobert. Rudy Gobert. Uh, Don, Donovan, Don, Mitchell. Don, Donovan Mitchell. Don, Donovan Mitchell. Uh, Marcus that, Smart. Christian Woods. <laughs> oh, God. Any of those guys. Although I know I hear that they're cleared now, but even then, like, fuck that. I'm staying away from you. Uh, <laughs> that's, pretty, that's pretty smart. Yeah, if you have coronavirus, you're automatically on the list. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking about this too. I was like, you know what? I think I'd want to, if I had to be quarantined with someone, probably like someone like Dane Lillard. Like Ooh. he's small. He probably won't eat a lot of food. And he seems like an athlete who's hella humble. Like the money hasn't changed him. So you could do like, you could split chores with him. Like, bro, I went to the grocery store yesterday. Dan, you got to go today. And he seems like the kind of dude who'd be like, all right, I'll go. I mean, he still, <laughs> and I, yeah. he still comes back to like, Brookfield in East Oakland, he still shows hell of love to where he's from. So I'm like, you know, the money hasn't changed that cat. Um, so I imagine for in quarantine, I'm, I think he'd still be of, of, of high quick character. I think the, the player I wouldn't want to be quarantined, probably any like offensive lineman from football, <laughs> they would definitely run through all my food. Um, <laughs> I think someone said, yeah, he'd probably eat me. Like, you know, it might be real, real diamond party-ish in this, in this yeah. G thing. So, yeah, definitely, definitely, yeah, not a, not a big football player. Yeah, right. I imagine Dame Lillard, Dame Lillard, like you can have like midnight like freestyles with him, like rap That's freestyles true. in the oh, kitchen. Yeah. You know, like, talk about talk about like politics and you know crazy shit, smoking a blunt. Yeah, yeah. there's gonna be a controversial thing where he brings up Oaklandish. <laughs> it's not an episode of unspoken rules unless Uncle Glennish is brought up <laughs> we just need to be sponsored by them right? <laughs> free advertising <laughs> the sponsor is the rivalry between Oaklandish and unspoken rules is going to be that of Joe Exotic and Carol Baskin. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's the anti-hero? Who's the protagonist? Uh, I don't know. Shoot you I don't know. You decide. <laughs> <laughs> All fucking losers in this. Hey, Drew, man, bro. I've been looking at Oakland Roots stuff, and I'm like hella close to buying some of their, their gear. Dude, I'm hella Sell into it. it. I'm hella into it. We're moving <laughs> to the team, man. They have a podcast now, by the way. Did you guys see that? Oh, yeah, they, they have a podcast, and they only have one episode, but it, Latif, the truth speaker, who's like a barrier OG rapper, uh, curates their music and talks about, like, his life growing up in Oakland and shit. It's actually, it's actually pretty good. Sorry, Andrew. But. God damn it, Alan. You're <laughs> killing me here. No. Yeah, like, Mo, Mo took my ticket last season, and it's a very, like, grassroots thing. Like, it, it's real. It's, yeah. I feel like it's very community-based, and, like, it's not – it doesn't feel corporate and taking advantage of anything at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I appreciate, like, something I give credit to Oaklandish was they weren't branding all over the field. You know, even though I think they sponsor all of Oakland Roots gear and whatnot, like, there wasn't, like, an excessive amount of Oaklandish signs all over the place. So I did, appre did appreciate that. When they could have, you know, they could have just had their, their sign everywhere. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, man. Drew, you <laughs> like, you might... <laughs> Now fuck with me after this. I, I'm really disappointed right now, man. I'm not gonna lie. I'm very disappointed right now in my team. Oh, that's gonna take me out quicker. Uh, coronavirus or Drew seeing me in Oakland this year. <laughs> well, as we as we move ahead to the next, uh, I guess, topic or conversation, 
Um, we kind of touched on the coronavirus and the impact it has on not just uh, our society in the U.S., but like the world. Um, I, the unspoken rule in this moment for all of us, and I think we all kind of came to a consensus, was that uh, there are no rules because uh, everything's so fluid right now where uh, we're adapting to, to every day uh, mm. in terms of like the, the, the news, the breaking stories that come out with, 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 every, um, with every minute that, that, that we hear of, of these things. But um, I guess my question to you guys is how do you guys feel about uh, the idea of having no rules uh, with coronavirus and then how it impacts us as a, a group. I think I, I would like if like, uh, if Alan could start it off, cause I feel like the impact of the change has been bigger for him because of this like trans, transit, like, you know, country change that he's went to and going through different cultures from like, from Mexico coming to here, where it's just like not even the same United States we remember it, or maybe it is. Like, I'd like to hear, like, what, what you feel about it. Yeah, so um, I think you guys know, but I don't know how detailed I've been. So I left in August, in early August, and my wife and I quit our jobs. Um, and we basically were, we're both, we were both high school teachers in, in the public system here in the East Bay. And we kind of felt like the, we weren't um, being, uh, what's the word? Compensated. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. I, yeah. I'm forgetting I how to, I forgot how to speak English, guys. I got you. <laughs> no, I appreciate it, man. Yeah. So to be honest, I haven't had a conversation like this in a while. So yeah, I, I feel like we weren't being compensated. We weren't being appreciated. So we basically quit our teaching jobs after a decade each. And we said, let's just go live in Latin America since we're both Mexican American. So we went to first we went to Chile, then we went to Argentina. We stopped in Uruguay and we stopped in Brazil and that was for the first few months. And then we made our way up through Mexico and we started hitting different parts of Mexico, not just like Mexico City and Cancun type of thing, but like really going into actual pockets and pueblos um, that are have no major populations, but maybe we have family members there. Um, and we started trying to actually live in Mexico um, as while while getting paperwork to become dual citizens because of our parents are are Mexican, um, so yeah, dude, it was different. I mean, we're we're big travelers, so us being able to go to different places is a huge part of who we are. Uh, just for example, like I was telling Mo earlier, just today I was actually supposed to be in Spain, like right now, um, and I had to leave Mexico because there's a six month period, whereas quote-unquote a tourist um since my paperwork wasn't finalized i would have had to leave the country uh in order to not get fined and be there basically like undocumented in mexico which is hell of ironic <laughs> so i bought my tickets to go to barcelona and brianna was going to go to colombia and i had my tickets my airbnb i had already dropped over a g on this trip and this was months 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 in advance so i was i was eyeing corona very clear closely because I had started hearing from my friends in Europe that things were starting to get shut down weeks before they were in the US. If not weeks, like at least seven days. Mm. Um, so my mind is already, has already kind of been on the international level, kind of watching how this was going to play out. 
Um, so I saw it coming from a while back, dude. And yeah, coming back to the States has been a, a weird transition. Um, I will say in the US, we're, we're extremely privileged as a population. Um, even the poorest population in the United States, uh, you know, still comparatively to places like Mexico and Brazil's poorest populations, really makes you appreciate the comforts that we have um, as a society, as a community. Um, and I just kept kind of thinking like, you know, there's, there's literal children in Mexico that are five years old that are selling uh, gum and flowers on the street 24 seven. And it's, it's just, a, it's a different, it's a different life. You know what I mean? Poverty is, is at a much lower level than, than we're used to seeing in the U S. So I think kind of seeing all that and coming back to the U.S., it's kind of, I have like this weird um, sort of phase that I'm going through where I feel very comfortable and happy to be home. I have warm water, um, guaranteed. I don't have to go outside and, and light a fucking boiler and wait 20 minutes. Um, I can drink the tap water. You know what I mean? These were all things I was thinking about when I was in Mexico. And the reason we did end up coming back early because I, I was planning to stay out there until August, which is still like four months or five months from now, um, was because, you know, like as much as people complain and bicker about the United States, dude, no mames, like compared to Mexico, the Mexican system, as we speak right now, is barely starting to try to shut things down and people are not listening. Like people have to live and they have to work. So I know it's the same in the United States, but the American dollar on the global scale is, is very powerful. So if, you know, people, people that aren't like used to having as many luxuries as they're used to having, like, damn, I can't buy a pair of shoes right now. Damn, I can't buy that new Nike, Nike fleece. That's literally unheard of to hella people around the world. Like, and I, I very much admire them for that. And I actually think they're going to handle this sort of uh, attack on capitalism much better than we are in the United States. Because the, the, the thing I noticed was in the U.S., while I was still in Mexico, I noticed in the U.S., people's reaction to this was, let me buy, let me purchase, let me consume. I'm going to the store and I'm loading up. I'm buying lots of toilet paper. I'm buying lots of soap. I'm buying lots of things that are going to, carry me over for the next few weeks or months and that's such a that's such a fucking privilege dude to be able to think theoretically how you're going to be living in in seven weeks in mexico dude people are thinking seven hours ahead you know what i mean if that and that kind of taught me a lot about how i wanted to live and so when i came back to the states i've been very very comfortable very calm here i'm happy to have my couch and tv and I think I, because of these things, I've been dealing with it a lot differently than, than most of my friends and family. So it, it, in some senses, it sounds like it, going through your experience in Mexico has made it easier for you to, to face what everybody's going through here. Like, it doesn't seem like there's a panic sense for you. For sure, man. And I know it sounds weird, and I acknowledge it's a position of privilege for me to be able to hop to Mexico, have Mexican family, shit hits the fan. And then my family in Mexico is like, hey, you should go back to the States. So I do. And I have that type of capital and, and citizenship mm -hmm. where, I, where Americans can do shit like that. 
And to be honest, dude, I've been trying to take advantage of my American citizenship ever since I was in high school. And I had, I, I look and attest to this. We grew up with a lot of friends that were undocumented. And when, I remember being like 16, 17, when you start getting your license and you start getting jobs and people start going to college. And that was the moment in my life where I saw I had a lot of friends that weren't able to get financial aid, that weren't able to legally get licenses and drive comfortably that had to jump through all these goddamn hoops just to get like minimum, minimum wage paying jobs and still work like three times as hard as I did. And ever since then, dude, my light as a, as a U.S. citizen was, has been on to the fullest. And I've been like, I'm going to fucking get scholarships. I'm going to work my ass off. I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to travel. I'm going to enjoy what I was born into as much as I can. Mm. And it, it, it's kind of weird that the year that I chose to kind of quote unquote, like call the United States on its bluff and give up all my comforts and, and leave to live in another country. Like I've kind of been prepping for this of like, I willingly gave up a lot of my privileges and comforts to live in the U S in order to experience. And, and it's, I, I don't want it to come off as like this exotic thing. Like, Oh my God, I lived in Mexico guys. And it was amazing. You know what I mean? Like I was living with my fucking grandpa and taking care of him and loving him. And he was loving me back and it was amazing. And to be completely honest with you guys, as soon as this ends, I want to, I do want to go back to Mexico and, and remain living there. It was a super simple, humble, um, life for, for many people there. And you don't, I, I didn't, I never felt stressed. I never felt like I needed more, like I needed the newest, um, just eating food and being in the company of good people was, was satisfying enough. I guess like I can, I can find affinity with what you're saying. And that when, when I grew up in the Philippines, it was a similar situation, just not having a lot of things, but I never knew what it meant to have something like having hot water, having like trustworthy electricity was just not something I really knew truly existed or having easy access to something like a donut was like, to me, it's like, I got that every like six months and it was a treat. Yeah, for sure. And so like when I came to the United States, like that's kind of the mentality I've always had is like, it's, I'm so fucking lucky to have all this stuff. Every single thing I have right now, I'm so grateful to have. And like, I think, I think maybe that goes back to the unspoken rule of like, when there are no rules, well, what are you doing? Like understanding, I think you go back to your past and what it, and what you've gone through and then comparing to that like when you start to realize what is the when you've experienced what is the essential can you go through life without toilet paper having a tabu and having to wash your ass with your hand in some water <laughs> you know like do i need toilet paper no that's not an essential i'm not gonna go panic by that shit um yeah. so i guess that kind of starts to define your rules your rules start to become um something that's based upon things you've experienced in the past and that's really cool that like you went back to like kind of see like your grassroots and to experience the roots of like what is it like to be like someone that that's not American that's more of like along your roots of like a, a Mexican growing up in Mexico and like not having the things that here we consider essential but there it's just like that would be fucking luxurious to have that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, um, 
had a like I grew up here in the Bay Area and I was born and raised out here, but I got a chance recently. I mean, a lot of what y'all are talking about seems like like the the privileges and comforts that we've been exposed to have underprepared us for this moment right now, where we're being stripped of what we see as essential, but what other people have seen as just like the standard of living forever, you know, mm -hmm. and like we we like to think of, oh, just basic toilet paper, having rice, uh, food is basic necessity or essential, but other countries in like the global South or, you know, more under-resourced countries, whatever that means, like this is their homeostasis. So there isn't this panic and alarm to go panic by, you know, like folks live a more unadulterated life. And, uh, and I saw it like firsthand when I went to go visit my mom's uh, province out in like Cambodia, it was very much like that. Like, folks just kind of, there wasn't this big, there was no technology out there, like cell phones, computers, working electricity that was uh, dependable and reliable. It's just not common there. And so I'm imagining their response to something like this is probably really like, they wouldn't be all in panic mode in the same way we are here in the US. Yeah, it seems like there's this, uh, this model that we work with in, in, in tech and business it's called the Kano model, and it breaks down things into three types of uh, features, which is uh, your table stakes, your um, incrementals, and your delighters. Uh, a lot of the times, delighters can become your table stakes. Table stakes meaning like these essentials, things you expect to happen. Uh, an easy way to describe this is um, with automatic windows in your car. At the start of like cars coming around, like automatic windows were a luxury. Mm. But now it's like, if you buy a car that doesn't have automatic windows, like <laughs> do, do, car, do those cars even exist anymore? <laughs> do you still have like roll up windows? I, 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 I bought one, I'm not gonna lie, Drew. I bought a manual with fucking rolling windows, but it, go, it all goes back to your point, dude. <laughs> I've tried to, I've, I've, I'm very intentional about the privileges I give myself because if you get too comfortable and you get too spoiled by, by U.S. first world privileges, I don't know how to say this, but you kind of become this bitch where like you're, you're just, you're, you're expecting to, no, I'm just fucking with you guys, but like, I, I, I am tough on myself because I, that's, it's, it's a privilege, but anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But I, but my newest car does have fucking rolling windows. <laughs> in Mexico, like too, everyone drives manual and roll up fucking windows. I mean, yeah, like that's still like that's normal in Mexico still. Like here, that's a very like U.S. type thing. Like, oh, like everyone has uh, electric Bluetooth, windows. Yep. <laughs> Bluetooth yeah, windows. That, that, Bluetooth. <laughs> Mind-controlled windows. You roll it up with your eyeballs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, windows up, please. <laughs> yeah, but I, I guess to go back to what Rome was saying, I guess I'm curious if, to find out what you're, what you're, where you were going with that. With uh, the, I get, it goes back to like where you set your expectations, mm -hmm. and and like if you realize that these things that you think are essential and you start to think about, is this really an essential thing? You can, you can break it down to realize that like it, it's not, and you could start to experience different cultures where like, where like what Alan's talking about, like 
going back to New Mexico or like going back to like different kinds of situations there and things you've experienced where it's like, oh, I was able to get by without having automatic windows. I was able to get by without having an abundance of toilet paper and an abundance of like this kind of food or blah, 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 blah. Like that was in actuality a luxury. Just because I kept living that luxurious life and everybody was living that luxurious life, it painted a false narrative of this being like a basic necessity, but it's really not. Yeah. If, if you really go back to it and start to say, like going back to the unspoken rule of like, there are no rules. Mm. The rules that governs us when there's no rules is the rules that we've come to experience in life. For sure. And, and it, it doesn't mean that you have to grow up on it, but it also means that you have to be willing to open your eyes to realize that like, I think Mo was speaking about this earlier, like there's a fluidity to rules and like the rule of one equaling one is based upon society's agreement that one equals one. Yeah. But when you, you can find a society where that doesn't necessarily become true. And so it kind of breaks even like hard science and hard math of like one equals one because this equality and this idea of like what you get is 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 a is subjective subjective thing is fluid yeah uh i just want to say one thing real quick just to kind of play devil's advocate and i wanted to say this earlier when adam was talking about uh when you were talking about like how in mexico they just kind of like live day by day and they don't have that luxury and like for you like you want to go back to that and I, I just want to, I do kind of want to point out that that is, and you said it yourself too, like that is a, like a luxury, a that is a oh, privilege yeah. for you to be able to have that decision. You know how many people in Mexico would kill you oh, to yeah, have your position? Oh yeah, hell yeah, dude. I've where it's to like, people. you know, like they're like, they will look at you crazy for you to be like, you're going to give up what you have here to want to go back to that. And they don't, yeah. like, I think that kind of shows how sometimes we, we have so much privilege that you, we have that like, we can it's like a video game like i'm gonna start like move like you know you can move to another country and start mm -hmm. like other people can't really do that and i i do admire you know that you have that like you're you're kind of uh, taking advantage of that freedom and, and doing that but like when you talk to i've been to mexico too like i mean andrew's yeah. been to me with me to parts of mexico that are rural as fuck they don't have running water like all that stuff you mentioned and you know it makes me take like what we have here a lot more like I appreciate what we have a lot more and I, I, you know, I, I don't know if I, it's almost like to me, like disrespectful to be like, let me give this all up and go, you know, live in Mexico. And cause they're, they're going to look at me like, what the fuck are you doing? Like you have that privilege to be born there and you want to be back over here. Like I would want to be where you're at and not look back, but that's yeah. just kind of what the mentality that I know that a lot of Mexicans have that I've talked to. For sure. You know, what's hella funny. Our tia, tia Claudia, she was so adamantly against and, and sort of putting, not putting me down because she's a nice person, but she was questioning, constantly questioning, really? You're, you're in Mexico? Like, you should go back. Mexico's dangerous. Mexico's horrible. Mexico's disgusting. Mexico's poor. Mexico's naco. Mexico's ignorant. And, and when I told her, I actually recruited her to help me kind of get my paperwork in Mexico because it was in our family's hometown, Jalapa and Veracruz. And I... I I had all my paperwork and I had everything lined up. And when I was explaining to her that I was trying to get my paperwork to become a dual citizen in Mexico, 
she couldn't comprehend it. She's like, really? Why? It's so dirty here. It's so ugly. And I hear you, man. Like, that's what I said earlier. It's an extreme position of privilege for me as a Mexican American, like first generation American to be able to go back to Mexico and to even experience it. So I hear what you're saying. I try to live mindfully and I try to interact with all people and learn from everybody. And there's a reason we chose Mexico and not staying in Brazil. I mean, we, we've been to Brazil and, and different many countries around the world. And I specifically wanted to go to Mexico because at, my mom is, was living in Mexico. She just came back to the States, but my, like, my literal, my birth mother lived in Mexico for the past few years and she moved back to, to Mexico. My grandpa still lives there. All of my uncles and aunts and cousins still live there. If, if, if I, like, statistically, I have probably 1% of my life in the US in terms of biological family and 99% in Mexico. And I think people get this myth in their heads that having more wealth and more material goods makes you happy. And I kind of wanted to tell my tia Claudia, you, you probably wouldn't be much happier in the US. You'd be working and you'd be stressed. And the funny thing is that particular aunt is kind of working and stressed anyways, but she lives in fear is my point. And one of the things I kind of wanted to comment on was, and this goes back to what Jerome said. Uh, Brand is reading this book right now that's about um, myths and how every nation and, and basically human history is built upon the idea of myths, the myth of freedom. And in the United States, we have freedom. And every place has a mythical ethos. California has a myth that you can come to California and live the dream and everything's going to be perfect and golden, literally. It's called the golden state. And that is part of the myth. And I think there's a myth that in the United States, you live this perfect, stress-free um, life of riches and wealth. And although we might have more materialistic goods, I, I have found in my experience in Mexico, people are happier. And people, e even the poorest people, in fact, from my experience, the poorest people in the world that I've ever met typically tend to be far more happier than people that have extreme wealth in the United States, because those people don't stress out about social status. They don't care what people think because they don't even, they don't even think like that. They're just day to day, hour to hour, a lot of these people. And I, I think that's something that I, I found happiness in myself, but you're right. It is hella like a privilege, like California thing for me to be like, I'm going to go be this hippie and live like, and, and I don't want you to think I'm doing that either because I'm not, you know what I mean? Like I'm still living with family and I still have a, enough comforts in Mexico that obviously it, it's, it's not like, I'm not living at the, the bottom level, the bottom tier of Mexican society because yeah, that would be dumb. That would be like, why would you do that? You know what I mean? But you're right though. It, it is a position of privilege and I do wish more Americans would travel at the minimum and not live in their city or in their block and think that that's the end of life. Because like I said, even the poorest American, um, if, if we use our money right, could, could travel and do a big difference in the world. I think, I think. I think especially in the Bay, that what you just brought up is, is true. It's, it's this inequality and this, like, in Oakland, it's so easy to go down the street and 
have meet someone like me who works in tech and makes a good amount of money and then you can meet someone who doesn't make a good amount of money and then like it's easy for that person to compare themselves to me and yeah, it's exactly me to compare myself to a guy who 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 makes even more than me right and then it's <laughs> and then like <laughs> uh, um so there's there's always this ability to compare and to like am i better than that am i better than that and even if I do ever get to the point where I think like, oh, I'm going to make like five times I'm making right now, there's still that opportunity here to compare to like another person. Like I'm sure someone else is looking at like Jeff Bezos and being like, what the fuck? Like Jeff Bezos, he's, he's making more money than me. Like I need to get to that level. But like if you're surrounding yourself around people that are equivalent to you. Yeah. I feel like, and I feel like this is the experience I've had when, like, I, I agree, like, when when my family wasn't that affluent, like, we were happier because we were around people who always weren't, who just weren't affluent as well. And then, like, now that we're making a lot more money, it's like, we can compare ourselves and start to see hmm. the rest of the world and start to compare ourselves to the, the millionaires and the billionaires and start to learn about, like, how unequal it is and, like, how unfair it is that you start to like being more angry and and start to think that I need to do more and, and maybe doing more isn't what it is. And maybe make, I completely agree making more money isn't isn't the, the solution. It, it's a means. What is the end? You just seem to figure out what the end is. And I think for you, the end seems to be like trying to find balance and solace in your life. And balance and solace doesn't necessarily come from having money. But it, like going with all the what all said, like you do have the opportunity to explore this. Yeah. And I think if I don't think I don't think people realize that the the um the privilege you have now is the opportunity to explore this. Mm-hmm. And the realization that instead of investing my time to make even more money and say fuck you to everybody else and buy myself a nice Porsche, it's like, no, I'm gonna I'm going to go back and realize like who I am as a person in the society and what I can contribute. You know, you know, what's interesting uh, about this time period too, is how what Rome is kind of getting at is like financial gradients can make differences, right? Like it, if I'm not used to, if everyone's making the same kind of money, then I'm not used to this inequitable distribution of wealth. Right. And so I might know that not know that I don't have enough because everyone else has the same thing as I do. Like right now it's weird because in America, in the U S like we're so used to that. Like there's a rich class, poor class, working class, et cetera. And so people are so used to these differences right now. in coronavirus is like, it doesn't matter how much money you have. You still have the same kind of access to that toilet paper that is uh, limited. So it doesn't matter if you have the resources to buy pallets of toilet paper you have the same amount of access to it as the person who makes minimum wage. Yeah. I mean, the impact of like you purchasing it might be different, but in terms of like your ability to get certain groceries or, or just this quote unquote necessities is it's almost like coronavirus has put us on a, a, a more like level playing field. If for, for lack of a better word, like, like capitalism has gone out the window. Like I, mm-hmm. I recently saw that, uh, Home Depot is going to donate all of the N95 masks mm-hmm. they have, which is like yeah. completely anti-capitalism. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. Or even like, like 
there's like partnerships between like Ford and General Electric. They're making like ventilators and, and like N95 masks or even like even more on a local level, like tattoo shops are doing similar to like Home Depot, like donating their gloves um, and like uh, like sterilizing equipment to to facilitate like hospital facilities. And it's a uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting how this uh, coronavirus has kind of shifted. And also it's shifted what's important in our community, right? Like no longer is Jeff Bezos super important. It's like, there's been this big, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm on social media and like my friends are, are like pretty anti-capitalist or whatnot, but there's like a big push to like say our nursing staff, our grocery store workers, our, our uh, like those people are prioritized right now. Like people who are working in the quote unquote essential businesses or services are way more important than, you know, the person who works in the financial sector right now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it totally is getting to that point. Like, like, just, I mean, so I'm just wondering for y'all, like, uh, since we're talking about coronavirus, like, I, I think we all had different periods where, where it kind of hit us like, oh, this is real. So I don't know if for, for y'all, where did, when did y'all start to, I mean, Alan kind of spoke to it, like he's been following it on an international level because of his travel plans and where he was going to be living just was significantly altered because of this. Uh, when did it become real for y'all? I think the, the the point where I could really say it was, I think a lot of us brought this up, was when the NBA is that game where it were against the Utah Jazz and OKC mm -hmm. was canceled and they just started canceling every game and they suspended the season. I was like, oh shit, this is huge. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, just, to, I don't know if it was mandated, but like, it just went out like, yo, shelter in place. That was the mm -hmm. term, shelter in place. Um, and my work telling me not to come in. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is much more serious than I thought it would. I thought for me, I was looking at it as like, Hey, if I get it, I'll probably be able to beat it. And I'm not really around people who are a, uh, or a, uh, a population that could be susceptible to it. So it's cool. Give it to me, I'll beat it, and I'm good. And perhaps I'll be like, immune to it? I don't know. I want it. <laughs> you know, like maybe I'll, I'll be immune to it and they, they could test my blood or some shit like that. Um, but after like learning that and like how it could be like asymptomatic and like I could not, not even realize that I have it, it's like, mm -hmm. that's when I was like, okay, well, that's kind of foolish for me to just walk around, think I'm a healthy person, but really mm -hmm. I'm harboring like a time bomb. Like, mm -hmm. that's really yeah. yeah. Really quick. Uh, Rome, when did your job tell you to not come into work? Do you remember the day? What do you uh, I want to say it was like the second week of March. So I had my, my knee surgery the first week. So I was working from home then. And the second week, it was kind of between second and third week. They were like, all right, well, everybody else work from home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think second week of March was when pretty much everyone started doing that. I think you guys, um, going back to most question, I think for a lot of people, sports, when when the NBA said let's cancel the season, was like, oh, shit, things are getting real. Mm. Um, for me, it was actually, I can tell you the exact moment when I was like, fuck, shit's getting kind of real right now. It was the day before because the NBA season was canceled March 11th, which was, I think, a Wednesday. Mm. Um I was in Mexico the weekend of the, the second weekend of March, which was the, or I guess it's technically the first weekend of March it was like seventh or eighth. When I got back on the ninth, people were freaking out. People were starting to kind of freak out here. My coworkers, um, the media, 
and I was kind of like, it was almost kind of like in the movies where you come back and you start seeing people kind of panic and you're like, what the fuck? Because I just <laughs> came back from Mexico. They, people weren't panicking at all. Like, it wasn't even a thing there, really. And I knew it got kind of real on the next day, on the Tuesday, the 10th, because my my girlfriend, who had also happened to be in Mexico, was pretty sick. And she was sent home from work because they feared that she might have coronavirus. She called her, she called her, um, her, her doctor. They feared she might have coronavirus. And she told, they told her to tell the people she's been in contact with to, to, to let them know to, to, to self quarantine. She called me pretty freaked out and said, Hey, like, babe, you know, the, my doctor thinks I, I might have coronavirus and I just want to let you know, you should probably let your work know. And I told my, my boss, this is Tuesday night, Tuesday evening, mind you that we teach classes on Tuesday to, to participants or patients or whatever you want to call them. And I told my boss that same Tuesday and it was like code red. Like I had to like basically leave. Like we had to cancel class that night. Our, at that point, the families are, were still kind of like, they weren't sure if like, you know, us canceling was the right decision. But I feel like the next day when the NBA canceled, it was like, I was, I was like, I felt like justified. I'm like, okay, we are making the right call. We're making the right decision. Because after that, all the dominoes started to fall. Schools canceled like the next week. Like everyone started staying home from work. Like the streets started getting a little more empty. Um, so that's when I kind of realized it when the panic, the panic is, is contagious. Like the, yeah. the, the, uh-huh. the, the, the doctor that was talking to my girl, the nurse, I mean, who, who talked to my girlfriend over the phone was seen panic when my girl told her the symptoms, my girl panicked. She told me I wasn't really panicked, but I told my employers, they got kind of panicked and it just kind of <laughs> spread from there. Everyone was like, fuck, like, like fucking cockroaches is going back into like the, the into the dark, you know, like getting away, getting out of the fucking lights. When you turn on the lights and the cockroaches just scatter, that's how it was. And I'm like, oh shit, this is for real. Also coming heavy with the imagery. Clearly, if you cockroach, if you grew up in a household with cockroaches, you know what I'm talking about. Hell yeah. <laughs> now I was, I was like, uh, have y'all seen Twenty Eight Days Later? Uh, the first. Hell yeah. It reminds what what Rome or Aldo was getting at, uh, like coming back to the to the U.S. Yeah, that's how I felt. Like Rick from Walking Dead, I woke yeah. up from a coma and like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> like that's that's what it's like. I mean, for for the three of us, we were we were here the entire time in the Bay, so we weren't we're just kind of accustomed to like this growing panic for y'all just coming back. It's like holy shit, y'all got air dropped into pretty much chaos. Wait. You know, Aldo, weren't you, weren't you sick recently? Was that <laughs> so talk about that <laughs> i was sick i was the thing is i was sick when i when the day i left for mexico which yeah, is a thursday i was sick and i was sick in mexico and people in, in mexico were joking haha tienes la coronavirus like <laughs> it was a joke over there but over here when i came back people were like if i would like they were freaking out you know? <laughs> yeah that's crazy yeah, I mean, uh, Aldo kind of mentioned it for me. Like, similarly, I was at the gym, and, I mean, I sh- probably shouldn't have even been going to the gym up until, like, March 11th. I was at the gym when uh, they made the – you know, I was watching the basketball game, Utah Jazz versus OKC. They canceled it. And even then at the gym, I was like, I should probably, like, not be here. But it's not hit max alarm yet, you know. There wasn't the shelter-in-place call. Um, and then, like, two days after that, on Friday the 13th of March – 
um, I get an email in the middle of the school day from like the district informing us that yeah, schools will be canceled. And, you know, I work in San Leandro. So I wasn't, San Leandro is a really small community, but we'd seen other local Bay Area schools like San Francisco uh, close their schools like earlier that week. And I was like, well, San Francisco is a big, pretty big congested city. It makes sense for them to close their schools. So it didn't, it didn't seem like necessarily it's going to hit my school district. And then two days later it does. And that's what I was like, and then we were informed that they were going to push spring break up in our school district a week. So that way it would roll, it would overlap with the three week, like kind of quarantine period. And to me, like I've been to school as a student and a teacher for like 30 plus years. That's never happened before for them to even just move one day of a holiday, let alone a full week of instruction being replaced by a holiday. And I was just like, Oh shoot, this this shit is real. Like it's, it's time to, and so like every other person who started having that panic, I went to Costco, <laughs> like right after school, <laughs> went to Costco. It was a terrible idea. Nothing but disappointment on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. I gotta, I gotta out my mom on that. She was at Costco like around that time, just buying whatever. And then she started seeing a bunch of people buying toilet paper. She had, she was like, Oh, it must be on sale. Realized it wasn't on sale. <laughs> like, take that shit yeah, back. She still got some, right? Walk out of that toilet paper. Nice, nice. Good, she's good like, company. everybody else is doing it. There must be a reason why everybody else is yeah. doing it. And I should do it too. Yeah. And, and like Aldo was saying that that, that panic is contagious. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah. And people behave differently, man. People will follow societal uh, procedure in those situations. And in, in some situations now, we're also yeah. seeing that people don't follow societal procedure. <laughs> Yeah. And um, kind of going back to what my brother said earlier about how um, like Americans are, are like kind of live in fear in a way like we are gun toting. We like, you know, I like to protect ourselves. We're always afraid of gun? something or someone <laughs> like, <a> big cat. <laughs> taking away our 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 life or whatever, you know, and but the thing is, and, and maybe I'm, I'm, you know, I'll admit I'm kind of like that of, of this group i'm probably the most like redneck uh, that there is like because i've always kind of in a way have always been into like prepping and especially before this started happening like i asked my girl as some people i've talked to before a lot of this started happening i had been already had in my men, in my in my mental that i was going to start prepping for shit like mm. those what i was thinking more earthquakes I wanted to stock up on water. I want to stock up on food. I want to stock up on whatever, everything, weapons, because I don't know what the fuck's going to happen. Mm. And, and as soon as I started thinking that way, like this shit break, this shit happened. And I was one of the first people too, like that got that. Yeah. Like you're saying Mo or uh, like Rome, how, when this stuff happened, I'm not going to lie. I also went and prepped. I have a shitload of stuff in my garage. I'm, I probably shouldn't be saying that because now I'm paranoid. People are going to try to find out where my stash is. But, and I also like, you know, I'll admit, like I also went and, and, and got a weapon granted. Like, mind you, I've always wanted to buy a gun. Mm. I would just put it off. Or I was like, I don't, you know, I've always been into weapons and guns. I was one of the last people who was able to buy a gun because you can't buy a gun. Now I bought one. As soon as I got back from the, from Mexico and I saw how shit was going, I'm like, I'm going to get a fucking gun because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. Like kind of going back to the unspoken rule to me, it, when I got back, it was like, there are no more fucking rules anymore. It was all surreal. It was all like a movie. I need to prepare myself 
to to be and maybe it's overreaction maybe it's just an, a very american thing to do but i went and stocked up bought my gun i like now i feel like a fucking you know like i'm ready for whatever um but maybe you aren't ever ready um i guess my point is that like everything went out the window and i was like this is gonna be this might be the wild west i don't know mm-hmm. there aren't any fucking rules like let me just be yeah. ready for for anything at this point and uh yeah maybe that is very american but i don't give a fuck i'm mm-hmm. I, I i have my <laughs> shit I, like i'm taking care of myself and my own like yeah. but uh i mean yeah that that's very a uh, different mentality than, than other other pl- parts of the world i guess Hmm. So you done, bro? Drew, Drew, did you do anything? Like, like, how did, how did this mass hysteria and this kind of idea of like no rules, did it change at all what you were doing? You know, it's funny. Like, I, I went the opposite side of the spectrum where I was. Um, I'm not saying I didn't take it seriously, but I was uh, more conservative with my approach in terms of how I wanted to. To, to store goods and go out and try to find toilet paper and you know what I mean like like and try to find uh, masks to wear like I was like like I work in healthcare field and and mm-hmm. I, I think I had an insider perspective on on, on what was actually happening um, I, I won't say minute by minute but like I had an insight on what was going on at the time um, so I took it a little less seriously and maybe to a fault where I was like I I know what's going on. I have insider information. I'm good, uh, but I don't think anybody out there really anticipated um, this happening to this extent. Where like we have, I think right now, uh, 200,000 people in the U.S. Uh, infected and almost a million worldwide um, who have been uh, diagnosed with with coronavirus. So um, uh, it, we're in a situation right now on April 1st, 2020, where like even though this is this has been known for the last four months. I think the uh, uh, China initially told the U.S. in December of 2019. Um, even though this is four months down the line, like we're still learning a new development every single day. Where like we just we're we're evolving on the fly. Like there really are no rules to how we can respond, how we can adapt. Like we're just trying to do the do the best we can to make life easier for. Uh, for ourselves, whether individually as a family, as a group, um, to make sure that we're going to be okay in case shit hits fan. And yeah. that's why Aldo bought a gun and has a bunch of knives. <laughs> to be props fair to you, Drew, myself, I was into knives before this all happened. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but props to you, Drew, for being on the front lines, bro. I, you know, it's oh yeah, yeah. No, no, no like it, it's one of those things where um, I think you take it for granted. Uh, for sure, where uh, whether you're on the front lines or not, whether you are impacted or not, whether you're considered essential staff or not, like uh, you never know what to expect in these situations because um, you're never asked to, to to adapt and adjust to, to, to moments like this um, very often. I, I don't think anyone here or anyone that we know of has ever been asked to adapt in this way. Mm. So everything that we're doing right now as a society, as a, as a world, like we, we, no one's ever been asked to do these kind of things. And um, as we're presented with new information every single day, as we are, as news breaks every single moment, um, we're literally responding in the moment where it's like, all right, we gotta, we gotta find a new normal. Right. Yeah. I think that's a new term that's been, been tossed around. It's like, 
this is our new normal where like we are sheltering in place and we are now um, trying to find balance in our lives where we are asked to stay at home, we're asked to work from home, we're asked to not go out. Um, and that may change in a span of a week or a day. So um, yeah, it, it, it's, it's weird because um, no one's ever asked us to prepare for this, yet we're in a situation right now. And uh, as a group of guys and family, we're now on Zoom to, to, to you know, talk to each other and recording this. So, you know, it, it, it's, it's an ever-evolving situation. For sure. So. Well said, brother. Yeah, I mean, that, that idea of the new normal, it's like it's, it's shifting into it's like every single facet of life right now you know, from not just work, from school, but also like your ability to see family is completely different. Like if you don't live in the same household as like your cousin, your dad, your mom, your aunt, whatever, I can't see that family member right now because I, you know, the whole idea of quarantining is you just stay with the people that you live with. Um, and so like, e even when you're out in public, like, you know, the new norm is just don't embrace, don't, don't dap people up, don't hug, you know, so like uh, different from what, I mean, I've been used to, like, you know, just showing warmth and like, you know, when you see someone like say, what's up, but now we're so afraid to even do that right now because that yeah. is the norm. Um, what I've been curious about is like, let's add post all of this, like what's, what is the new norm? Like, will we still have this like weariness of, of touching each other or will we be more accepting of like, holy shit, I totally missed hugging you and like giving you a, you know, what's up and like give you a handshake. Like I totally miss that. Or will it be like, yeah, don't, don't fucking touch me. Cause I don't even know just yet. Cause you know, you, that just happened. Like what is the new norm? Like this is, this is definitely like a shock to the system, that, but we're not going to return back to what we, what we knew. Mm. It's going to be different. I, I, I've said this to a few people and, and, and I could be wrong. Um, but I, I think this, and, and I'm not, I'm not saying this shelter in place thing is a wrong, uh, a wrong, um, wrong thing to do, but the idea of sheltering in place, the idea of self-quarantining, self-isolation, whatever this, this is to, to all of us, right? It, it, it's in a sense telling everyone out there to treat people who don't live with you or don't, to don't stay next to you as someone who is presumptively or potentially someone who carries the virus, right? So we're walking around on eggshells right now, looking at everybody else who don't live with us as potentially someone who can infect us with yeah. coronavirus. So mm -hmm. I think that's the hard part about society right now. It's like, we don't know who potentially has coronavirus or who does. And we're now faced with the, the, the I don't want to say the simple fact, but like, we're put in a situation where like we're supposed to treat everyone out there who we don't really see on a uh, on a day to day basis as someone who could potentially infect us, and I think that's the hard part with this whole situation, because again, tying back to the whole unspoken rule, it's like we we're now asked to like there is no there is no rule, there is no norm, there's no, is no there's no um, yeah there, there's no norm for us right now, so. I mean, the, I think the rule right now is profile everybody as a potential. <laughs> you know, it's like, but finally, white folk, white folk know what it's like to be a person of color when they're profiled. Like, you might have it, you might have it. Like, <laughs> that's true. You know, I'm not. Uh, We're all villains in this. 
<laughs> Seriously, I mean, if you are not respecting, you know, we were talking about the social contract earlier of we're, we have to look out for everybody. Uh, it's like, I think there's been like this saying, it's, it's not about you. That's been like a social media thing that people been talking and posting. Initially, I didn't get it, but what I realized, it was speaking to the people who are still going out in public and just kind of going about social life as usual. Um, a lot of us live in Oakland or have been to Oakland. We know about Lake Merritt. It's like a bastion of hangout right now still. It's still the emphasis. Like people are still kicking it there and, and yeah. violating, you know, this, this whole like six feet apart social distance or physical distancing. And, and I, you know, like, I think a lot of us, like we, we have elders in our lives. We, we know people who are in vulnerable population. I can't help but get frustrated at those folks who are like really careless about, you know, flattening, flattening the curve. I never knew what that meant until like just a couple of days ago, like how important it is for us. Like our responsibility as like, you know, we've been told we are not a vulnerable population, but we still have like this greater responsibility. And then people, that's a rule that I'm following, but it's like an implicit rule or I'm just like following it just because it's, we, we, I care about people, but yeah. it's not yeah. like I have to, not like we have to do that. Yeah. It's like, can we, can we recover from this idea of trust no one? Mm -hmm. huh. I don't know. It's 2021. Humans do not shake hands. <laughs> we wear spacesuits now. <laughs> to have sex, you have sex like, like in Demolition Man. <laughs> what? You put on thinking cap. Remember Demolition Man? Oh, Sylvester Snipes? Sandra Bullock? Yeah. Wesley Snipes? They put, oh, that's the one we're talking about. That's the one. <laughs> Sylvester Stallone. Or he it puts on a little cap to, to, to uh, fuck Sandra Bullock. He put, they put on caps in the house. Is this on premium? Like, 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 no. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alan, we got to get you on that. One. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, no, what do you think no. me and Andrew play video games for? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no lie though, no lie. So, so Mo, for those who know the Bay Area well enough, no, like Merritt, like that's kind of like a staple in in, uh, in East Bay. And I, I, I've literally, I went, I literally drove there one day during this quarantine to look to like work out, cause like. Part of like the quarantine was like you are able to exercise as long as you're staying within the boundaries of what the what the uh, CDC, Department of Public Health uh, guidelines are, right? Six feet apart. Um, you know what I mean? Like all those basic guidelines. But I went there and I was like, "Yo, this is probably the most populated I've ever seen Lake Merritt." Mm -hmm. and, like, and I don't. I'm not trying yeah. to to em embellish it. I'm not trying to make it bigger. I've never seen Lake Merritt more densely populated and and with foot traffic than i have at this point in time and it was almost like people out there and i, I say out there in lake Merritt, just didn't understand the gravity of what we're dealing with yeah. right now because again like no one ever thought that we would get to a point where there was going to be close to a million cases around the world no one thought that the u.s would lead the world in coronavirus cases like no one ever thought that we'd be in the situation but now we're here um, and we're now faced with a reality of like, we don't know what we're dealing with. I think and, like psychologically, it's this, this idea called reactance where you're told not to do something. So you do it anyways, yeah. just because you're told not to do something. I mean, it, um, it's, it's, well, it's I think that, we're seeing that a lot right now. Yeah, yeah no it's, doubt. It's some of us norm, are taking, right? yeah, some of us are taking it to heart. Like, like, yeah, that is that is probably the most intelligent thing to do is just not go out and, and take it the take the brunt. But a lot of others are taking it as like, 
like, oh, you can't tell me what to do, and then rationalizing it by saying, like, well, you know, I'm I'm not of the vulnerable, you know, stage, so I should just go out there, and probably a lot of people who are vulnerable are going out there anyways and saying, like, hey, I'm okay to die, so it's cool, like, whatever. Um, so that could be a, re- a reason why that's happening. It's a weird psychological thing, and, like, haves and have-nots, and people reacting and people not reacting you, you know what it reminds me of Rome? it kind of goes back to the original argument or discussion we were having where it's 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 very much an american privilege to have the freedom to do and say and and sort of live how you want and i'm not saying that's a bad thing it's a very beautiful thing actually um but i i've been kind of studying this like i told you guys internationally um and a lot of the asian countries have actually i i mentioned this earlier off air but have done an amazing job of dealing with this and if you look at countries like singapore and i believe taiwan was another place that they were like heralding and even china itself to be honest south korea yeah it isn't their first rodeo that's the thing they've been exactly outbreaks for a long time they've dealt with them before so they have protocols in place and and they have um they have a, a level of seriousness, I guess, that they they subscribe to that we don't as Americans because we're so used to being untouchable, things not happening on our soil, um, and and we're not we haven't really been prepared for this sort of situation. But I just find it interesting personally. I'm a I'm a person of um, like if I see the data and I see the evidence, for the most part, I I'm not that hard to convince. And if you look at the data worldwide. Countries that have responded quickly and immediately and have gone into physical distancing and quarantine have had significantly no, lower numbers um, than countries like like Italy and Spain, for example, and the United States, and I believe Mexico will be next, um, have not taken it seriously. Mm-hmm. And those are all the countries that have had systems that have gotten overwhelmed because the people are, for lack of a better word, cockier and don't think that this can affect them for whatever reason. Um, and those are the countries that had, have had the most problems statistically, like the most cases and the most um, like overflow, I guess, and, and sort of like overwhelmed hospital yeah. systems. Yeah. So yeah, when, when I saw that shit, when I was in Mexico and I was reading about like what Singapore is doing and how China handled it and how all of these countries, like Mo said, flatten the curve. That was a, that's a phrase that I got introduced to like weeks ago. And I was like, okay, you, you can't argue that. Like countries that are staying indoors have had great success relative to countries that have not stayed indoors. And that's part of the reason I left Mexico too. People are like high-fiving, hugging, kissing, packing taquerias. And I, I was just kind of like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I'm good. I'm out. The American in you kicked in like, hey, let's go back to our privilege. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, so, I'll admit that. <laughs> I, I, I guess long story short, um, I, and again, I think part of this conversation for the, the, the group of us right here is it's, we haven't seen each other in a long time. We've been kind of uh, sheltering in place. And Alan just came back in town like a short while ago. But uh, we are uh we haven't had a chance to really see each other in person and hang out in person and that's something we take for granted um but at the end of the day as this this uh this coronavirus kind of evolves 
um, there really are no set rules for us as a society right now because like we're also adapting to like the the, the changes in, in protocols and procedures and laws. Um, yeah, man, like there, there really are no rules right now. We're we're kind of, and I'm not saying we're we're, we're in a place of anarchy, but like we're all trying to learn and adapt to the times right now. So yeah, uh, I don't know what, if you guys have any, have any last things to say. I think when it comes to like. A situation where there's no rules we tend to go back to our history and it depends on the kinds of persons that you what history you have and how the depth of that history will define what kind of person you are and how you react to something when there's no rules i mean um i think this i i like jokingly use this phrase with with a lot of folks and it's, it's common. It's like, stay ready. So you don't have to get ready. And uh, I feel like Aldo kind of embodied that. And I feel like a lot of, a lot of our OGs have that. Right. <laughs> uh, but in a time like this, it, I can't help but think of this quote from uh, this, this like really dope Asian American activist, Grace Lee Boggs. And she said, um, and one of her things she said was just live simply. So other people could simply live is like that applies to right now. And so, the idea of like going to Lake Mary as much as I want to kick it with y'all in person wouldn't necessarily be simply living. Like I need to like, someone said it, like take the grunt, just chill, lay back and let like the, let the curve flatten or whatnot. So that way other people are allowed to like live and breathe, um, you know, without worrying about the coronavirus. So that's, that's like my final thought that I wanted to share. Alan Aldo. Um, so yeah, dude, I had mentioned the idea of myths earlier and how we all willingly subscribe to myths that we believe in. And I, I just think the myth is changing. Like the myth, the American myth is being challenged right now. Like arguably, maybe it never has been in, in modern history, modern, modern American history, modern U.S. history. Um, and, and as always, people will adapt. And, you know, like, I'm a very optimistic person. Um, I hate to see it happen at, at, in this way, because I do take it very seriously. And I know people are actually dying. Um, and a lot of them are, are older folks, statistically. Um, and I, I wish it didn't come at this price. But mm -hmm. I do think the American myth and, and the world myth will change and, and we'll start to view our comforts, I hope, a little bit differently and appreciate a little bit more of what we have and not take for granted, like you were saying, Andrew, um, all of these things that we've just been kind of blindly sort of believing and, and never questioning. Um, so yeah, I just think, I, I, I do think this will pass with a few months and we'll adapt and whatever the new myth is, people will start believing in that until we're forced to not believe in that myth anymore. Yeah. All the last words. Uh, I'll just, I'm going to keep it short and simple, kind of echoing what Adam just said. I just want to reflect on how, at the end of the day, how lucky and fortunate we are to be where we're at in, in, in life, right? To be lucky to be born in the U.S., born here in the Bay Area, and really, at the end of the day, not have it that bad. Even with all that's going on, a lot of us are still fortunate to work from home, still have, like, food on our table, uh, still have our health. Um, so I just want to say like, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful to, um, you know, have you guys and, and still be here. Um, I don't really, at the end of the day, don't have anything to com complain about. 
Um, so like the important thing is just to stay safe, stay healthy, and and try to look out for one another. Happy to have y'all. Hey man, love y'all. Salud. So 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 before we we take our last shot and sign off on this, I I, I would I would I would not be doing us a favor without shouting this out. So again, Alan is back in town after Yee! seven months sabbatical. Uh, so let, let, let's, let's put this out there. Our, our, our boy, Alan, uh, recently put out a new, uh, book, if I'm not mistaken, Alan, uh, you can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but he put out a new, um, he published a new book, uh, called mid nineties kamikaze, correct? Yes, sir. Uh, it's a book of poetry, um, that he, he's had in his repertoire for a long time that he's published now, uh, published recently. But uh, he is giving that book out for free. And the only caveat behind that is, like, you have the ability to donate um, at, at any price. Like, you could be, you, you could you give a dollar, give two dollars, give 50 cents, whatever it is, um, to the cause. And the cause is that through this coronavirus um, pandemic that we're all facing, uh, and being that this is a sports podcast, he is going to donate 100% of the funds to the relief efforts for the uh, stadium workers uh, at the uh, Coliseum and I don't want to say Coliseum, but to the Warriors Foundation Arena workers. as as well as the Cavaliers, I believe, because your co-author co, uh, is a Cleveland Cavalier fan. But long story short, um, Alan has a book out called Mid-90s Kamikaze. Uh, I'll let Alan shout the, uh, tell you where to go find the book. Um, all proceeds donation wise go to a good cause. Yeah. Um, Thanks man. I appreciate you. I appreciate you throwing that in. I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. You said it well, man. It's just a, it's a 36 page book of poetry and digital illustrations. Um, talking about an NBA player that I grew up idolizing and I had already had it ready to publish, but instead of getting it, published traditionally through a you know like a hard copy publisher like i i'm used to and i have other books like that i figured i'd toss it out online make it a pdf people that are missing the mba can read it and if people have a few bucks to spare because i know not everybody can do that um it's the easiest way to find it is just to find me on twitter uh at alan a-l-a-n underscore chazaro c-h-a-z-a-r-o and I just have a link there because it's like a crazy link that you have to, I don't want to give all the numbers and dashes and whatnot. So you'll find it on my page there and you can read it for free. For, all, for I, I want people to read it for free. And if people want to donate money, it'll go to some arena workers in the NBA. Um, and, and it kind of goes back to everything we've been saying, guys, of like how often in our normal, when everything is functioning on all cylinders in the U.S., how many of us think about the arena workers that go into their jobs every day to provide all this service and this infrastructure so that we can enjoy an NBA game? Yeah. And it kind of had all of this for me personally has made me more appreciative because I've already tried to appreciate, but it's made me even more appreciative of all of the intricate sort of um, pieces that go into our everyday comforts. And for people like these arena workers who are unable to get paid right now, um it felt like the right thing to do and the easy thing for me to do to give a year's worth of my writing and art completely free just to help bring attention to this cause um 
And yeah, I hope we can all find ways to like help each other and think about each other in these times. So again, mid nineties kamikaze, go to Alan underscore Chazaro on his Twitter and you'll find the link. But uh, to to the fellows in this podcast, I miss y'all. I love y'all. I wish we could do this in person and hopefully in due time we'll be able to. Uh, But this is season three episode whatever this is at this point <laughs> no um, rules it doesn't matter yeah there's hey, no rules, there's no rules. Who are you? We my name is i'm like gary i'm like jerome i'm a rome <laughs> i'm uh, jerome you? no you're jerome no he's jerome, <laughs> yeah, jerome. No rules. but but i love you all i miss y'all and, and hopefully we'll be able to do this soon in person peace i love, hey. yeah. sure. love, love you all love you boys good to be back yeah. home yeah. Yeah.